The psalm begins emphatically, O Lord, you have searched me and you you have searched me and known me. Exclamation point. The words translated searched and known mean to examine thoroughly and carefully. David is blown away by God's awareness of him. God knows everything about him, the whole of his life. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. Nothing escapes his view. God sees it all and God knows it all. And the theological word for this is the word omniscient. Omni meaning all, meaning that God knows everything about everything at all times. God is transcendent in this way. He is above us and unlike us in this way. He is divine and eternal and intimate, and yet he is personal and intimate. His transcendence does not keep us or keep him from us. His transcendence does not keep him from us, but in fact, he draws near to us. Not only does he know all things, he knows all things about me, all things about you, not just the facts. The verbiage here is very relational. It's like the way we know our spouse or our children or our dearest friends, but obviously to an immeasurably greater degree. God knows you thoroughly and thoughtfully. He knows who you are. Verse 1, he knows what you do and think and say. Verses 2 through 4, he knows the comings, of, the comings and goings of your day when you sit and when you rise. He searches your path and you're lying down, meaning, meaning when you're awake and when you're asleep. He's acquainted not just with some of your ways, but all your ways. He knows your thoughts and what's going on inside, your feelings and motives and attitudes. He knows your actions and even your words before they're spoken. Verse 5 says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. This, this describes God's all-encompassing care. God surrounds and blesses his people. In fact, the laying of God's hand is a sign of blessing. It's the picture of God's touch upon your life. Behind and before, that, that phrase, that speaks to, to days past and days to come. We are hemmed in, as it were. We are surrounded and blessed by God all the days of our life, even into life everlasting. There's nothing about you, your, your past, present, or future that God does not know. Even, even those things we may try to hide, God sees and knows. And for some, this may be unsettling or even frightening. We may, not, we may like the idea of being known, right, but not necessarily being fully known. Because we're afraid if someone were to know us fully, if they knew everything about us, we're afraid they may not like what they know. But for David, notice, God's full knowledge is not frightening 
It's freeing. It's liberating. He said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The most astounding, hear this, the most astounding thing is that God knows us through and through, including all our sin and ugliness and unpleasantness, and yet isn't de- un- uh, and, and he isn't deterred by what he knows. I want you to hear this quote from J.I. Packer. He says, There is unspeakable comfort in knowing that God is constantly taking knowledge of me in love and watching over me for my good. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic. Based, on every, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery, that no new discovery of some hidden fault in me will in any way disillusion him about me. In no way will, this, this, will there be some new discovery of this hidden weakness or sin that will in any way quench his determination to know me and bless me. And then the section shifts from God's knowledge to God's presence. Verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? These are rhetorical questions meant to underscore the gift of God's presence. And then David elaborates in verses 8 through 10. it's, It's so poetic. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, or literally the depths or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So from heaven to earth to even under the earth, God is there. This phrase, the wings of the morning, speaks to the rising of the sun in the east. This phrase, the uttermost parts of the sea, probably speaks, probably speaks to the Mediterranean Sea, which to the Hebrews was to the west of Israel. In other words, David is explaining the personal presence of God by using opposite extremes from the highest heights of heaven to the lowest depths of the earth, from the rising of the sun in the east to the uttermost parts of the, of the sea in the west. God is there. God is up and down and left and right. He is with you always. We live in a, in a day of unprecedented technology, right? We have more digital devices than ever before, and we can connect with people near and far instantaneously from our smartphones and tablets and and, and computers to gaming consoles. Even our TVs and our automobiles can connect, can access various networks worldwide. We can text, chat, post, like, reply, and comment to almost Anything and anyone from nearly anywhere, we have instant access to so many, and yet loneliness remains as widespread as ever. 
we can be acquainted with, with, with many, many people and interact with them often, yet still feel isolated and entirely alone. We can be surrounded by others, surrounded by others, maybe even this room, and still feel unknown, unnoticed, forgotten. And that may be true with people. Right on a strictly human level, that may be true. But it's never true with God. David says that God is before us and behind us, above us and below us, to the left and right of us. He envelops us. He is present with us. Always present. Fully present. Present in the fullness of his being. We don't just get a little piece of God every now and then. We get all of him all the time. We don't bring God with us. He's already there wherever we go. Verse 10 pictures God leading us by the hand, even holding us in his hand. And even when all seems dark, this is verses 11 and 12, when the circumstances of life turn dark, even there God is with you. God is light. And his presence illuminates your path. As I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, by the way, shadows only exist because there's light, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God knows us intimately and is present with us personally. And next we learn that God has created us wonderfully. It's estimated there are over 367,000 births per day worldwide. That's actually as of 2014. It's the closest estimate I could find. That's 250 births per minute. Just over four births per second. Over the course of our worship service this morning, about an hour and a half, almost 23,000 children will be born worldwide. Psalm 139 affirms that God creates each one uniquely and wonderfully. The miracle of birth is just that. Look how David describes it. He says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me 
together in my mother's womb, verse 13. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he says in verse 14. He talks of being made in secret and intricately woven in verse 15 and speaks of his frame. That's literally his bone or his skeleton being known by God. And then I want you to notice in verse 16 that that life begins at conception even before the human embryo takes shape. Even then, God saw David's unformed substance. Even then... The days of David's life were formed and numbered by God. God is the author of life, and so shouldn't we value his gift of life? How tragic, really, that we don't value life for the gift that it is. How tragic that we have legalized the killing of our unborn, our babies, and even sell their aborted body parts for profit. How tragic that we grossly underappreciate and even disregard our elderly. That's tragic. How tragic when we look in the mirror and we fixate on this or that part of us. And we secretly wish we were different. As if to suggest that if we were God, we could have done better. When was the last time you prayed? Verse 14. Look at it. Verse 14 is this week's theme verse. We want each and every girl and boy this week to know and learn this verse and to know and praise the God this verse is directed to. It says simply, I praise you, God. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Did you hear that? Fearfully and and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, God. My soul knows it very well. You get the point. The point is that God is our creator, we are his creation. If we just stop and think about that and we remember in the beginning God created. He created light and day. He he created heaven and, and earth. He created sun and moon and stars. He created life, plants and vegetation and 
creatures of all sorts for, for the land, sea, and sky. And then as the pinnacle of creation, he created humanity. He made man and woman and called it all very Consider just these few amazing facts about the human body. The 60,000 miles of blood vessels inside the average human body could circumnavigate Earth two and a half times. <laughs> inside your belly button are thousands of bacteria that form an ecosystem the size of an entire rainforest. You wondered where all that lint came from. <laughs> In about 30 minutes, the human body gives off enough heat to bring a gallon of water to boil. Your body produces 25 million new cells each second. Every 13 seconds, you produce more cells than there are people in the United States. You already know one about fingerprint. No one has the same fingerprints as you. Did you know that no one has the same tongue print? No one has the same pattern of brain wrinkles. No one has the same voice. No one, if you, if you kind of crease your hands, no one has the same knuckle creases as you. The point is that we are God's creation and God is worthy of the praise of his creation. You are not an accident or coincidence, the mere result of some evolutionary process. You were personally fashioned by the hand of God, not just your body, but your personhood, your entire being, your temperament, your personality, your idiosyncrasies, your funny quirks. Each of his works is wonderful, and we ought to experience this wonder from the depths of our souls. You were created by God, in God's image, for relationship with God, and that God, and that God so <clears throat> skillfully and wonderfully created him that God formed and numbered his days with such purpose leaves David in utter amazement. He says in verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. So David is floored by the wonder that God thinks of him continually before he was even born. And he's floored by the wonder that, that if David were to count God's thoughts toward him, that they would outnumber the grains of sand that line the ocean's floor and, its, and form its shoreline border. Even when he sleeps, God thinks of him. And when I awake, David says, I am still with you. I love what Spurgeon, I love his comment on this verse. He says, the thoughts of the Lord encompass us in all our paths and penetrate the innermost region of our being. Not a nerve or tissue, not a valve or vessel of our bodily organization is uncared for. And then I love this line. All the littles of our little world are thought upon 
by our great God. David is awestruck by the fact that God knows him, walks with him, and has created him. And and then while in this state of awe, he just bursts out in verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. And this seems so out of place. I mean, how can we go from such beautiful expressions in verses 1 through 18 to such violent statements in verses 19 through 22? Here David talks about slaying the wicked, about hating those who hate God, about counting them as enemies. Why? Why would he say such things? Well, it's because it pains him to know that some curse God rather than praise God. These are the heartfelt expressions of a man who has taken up God's cause. David has experienced the wonders of God's grace And now he rises to defend God's honor. We've been there. Haven't we? We look at the world around us and the people who pay no attention to God. Some are so brazen in their rebellion. And it causes a mix of emotions within us. Sometimes it hurts us. Sometimes it pains us. Sometimes it ticks us off. And so we rise to defend God's honor. We stand for what's true and right and noble. And like David, we sometimes, even silently or secretly, we sometimes pray down curses, right? We pray these imprecatory psalms of our own making against those who are against God. So when we view these verses through the lens of our own experience, they're not out of place at all. They make total sense to the person who has experienced God and the grace of God. But here's the key. Humility. Please don't miss this. Even David's righteous indignation is brought before God in complete Humility. He says in verses 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So like David, we need to come full circle. We need to surrender our dislikes, our complaints, even our indignations to the Lord. Like David, we need to make sure that we are not grieving God with those things or people that grieve us, that we're not allowing them to fester and take over our lives. In effect, David is saying, God, you know my heart. You know my thoughts. You know the grief I feel toward those who grieve you. And you also know the grievous ways in me. So search me, try me, test me, lead me. In other words, David is laying himself wide open. That's the intended outcome of Psalm 139. That's what God wants from us today as a result of reading Psalm 139. 
these closing verses are a wide open invitation for God to search every nook and cranny of your being. David already knows that God has searched and known him. He began verse 1 with that declaration. He already knows that God has searched and known him. So when he prays now at the end, search me, O God, and know my heart, essentially he's inviting God in. It means holding nothing back. It means trusting God with your entire life. It means being open to Him completely. This psalm isn't simply about the universal truths of God's knowledge or God's presence or God's creation. It's about how these truths affect you. The reason David could rejoice in God's knowledge is because he knew God. The reason he could rejoice in God's presence is because he walked with God. The reason he could rejoice in God's creation is because he valued life with God. And that's the point. There are two kinds of life. We know this. There's life with God and life without God. And life with God is for those who avail and entrust themselves to God completely. And today that's done by placing faith in Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God and Savior of the world, our Savior, right? Meaning that apart from Christ or relationship with Christ, we remain estranged from God, lost in our sins, under God's just wrath towards sin. But through faith in Christ, we're brought near to, to God, we're forgiven our sins, and we're made to, to be with God forever. So while the universal realities of God's omniscience and God's omnipresence and God's omnipotence remain true always, they don't become personal realities until there's personal relationship. And so the questions facing each one of us this morning is, have, have I come to know the God who so thoroughly knows me? Do I walk with the God who is so present with me? Do I live in worship of God who has created me? The tagline for this week's VBS, you may have seen it. I don't know if we have anything here. You may have seen it on posters downstairs. The tagline is decoding the mystery of life. And this is it. This is the life of 
forgiveness and freedom and fullness in Christ. This is life everlasting, life unimaginable, life as God intended. This is the mystery that God so loved the world, that God so loved you, that he gave his only son so that you might believe in him and not perish, but have life everlasting. Will you avail and entrust yourself to the Lord completely? Completely. What would it look like for you to make David's prayer your own? To say, God, search me. Every nook and cranny, I'm holding nothing back. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for years, but you're holding something back. What would it look like for you to make David's prayer your own and just avail and entrust yourself to him completely? That you may know him today and enjoy him today led by him today and forevermore. Amen. We praise you for the time in your word this morning, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. We trust it has made an eternal difference in our lives.